Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome back, listeners, to another wonderful episode of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast on Holosuite Media. I am but one of your co-hosts, Chris Hill, and with me, I'm going to say as always this time, Thank Kyle you. West. How are you doing to Kyle? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. I'm, I feel under pressure now because you introduced us by saying <laughs> another wonderful episode of The Expanse. So now I feel a pressure to deliver. <laughs> on that promise to to our trusted listeners so uh, we will do our best and we do have a wonderful yeah. topic for for this week's episode so. yes definitely uh before we get into that uh just a little bit of business go ahead and like subscribe give us that wonderful five star rating on your podcatcher of choice uh, it really helps with the algorithms and everything don't be afraid to leave us comments on this episode or any other episode we've done. You can direct those to at NX01podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're also there on Instagram and Facebook under the same usernames. We're also in the Nexus, which is our little listener's lounge type area, where the entire network kind of posts their shows. And also, you can also help support us by becoming a patron. And we'll go ahead and let you know how to do that now. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast to view our subscription tiers. Benefits of becoming a patron include earlier access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we will be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details for this podcast episode. Alright, welcome back. So today we are going to talk about an oft underused definitely I think underappreciated member of Starfleet. Hmm. Do you have any ideas who that might be, Kyle? Gosh, it could be a few. <laughs> in this occasion... This is true. On this occasion, uh, we will be talking about uh, one communications officer who served aboard the NX-01. Yes, Hoshisato. That's right, Hoshisato. A character who... It's interesting when you say un underused, or maybe mm -hmm. often overlooked. But as we found out and we'll talk about on this show... Some fans who took to her really took to her. Yeah. And like she has a, I want to say like a diehard following uh, behind yeah. her. So even if she wasn't always used as a 
uh, as a central character on the show. She definitely did enough to, for people to identify with her and, and want to defend yeah. her with their honor, <laughs> with their lives, I should say. I, I gotta say, it, it, it may be bold of me to say this, but I think during, you know, the first first few years, you know, of DS9 and, you know, after, I, I would say that, that Hoshi kind of has the same following that Garrick had at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you know, maybe in another maybe another ten fifteen years, Hoshi's going to be as, as popular as Garrick is for for DS Nine. Oh, that is a <laughs> a statement and a half, isn't it? We have to uh, we we'll have to c- come back to the show if we're not still going in in fifteen right. years and, uh, <laughs> and see if you were right. Uh, Garrick has quite a following. Definitely, though. he has quite a following. I'm just obviously watching early DS Nine and. Uh, just fun seeing him at the start mm-hmm. as well and knowing that where he's going to go and ah oh, garrick yes now you've mentioned him let's just do a garrick <laughs> character study no, why not <laughs> no no we, we, we if, if we want to do that we'll have to talk to to the vedics and see if they'll they'll invite us on <laughs> yeah so and then, then the show i'm referencing is the vedic assembly which is our ds9 podcast on the, on the network so if if f- figuring you know the last two episodes we've kind of cross-promoted and you know just out of yeah actually, we, we haven't even coordinated with the other other hosts on this either so <laughs> no i'm not gonna say it's funny this is happening because as we record this is it like two or three days ago? yeah I, I don't something know when, like that um i became a uh, a title co-lead or something of hollow sweet media uh so I'm, I'm working with uh steve who who owns hollow sweet media um, to sort of, uh, I, I just want to help him. I don't believe in, in titles and such uh, in those, when you're in such a small community uh, as as Hollywood Media is. So, um, but this is not a deliberate attempt to try and <laughs> to try and boost listeners for other right. shows uh, from myself or Chris. We just know that we are surrounded by some wonderful podcasts mm-hmm. at Hollywood Media. And it's, it would be great if people can find other shows on the network that they want to listen to i myself can put my hand up and say that you know before getting the the new position i have at hollow suit media i have not been able to listen to every different show um there i'm just i'm so busy i have children i have my own entertainment website <laughs> and everything and this show which um weekly releases you know we, we're torturing ourselves so some weeks <laughs> yeah. to edit uh, so but i know the ones that i myself have got to are just incredibly well put together fantastic yeah. teams of people uh, in some cases people who have worked together for a long time already at uh, on other shows at other networks and have come here and some new teams that i mean chris the show that uh, you were on the mm-hmm. voyages you know a new team yeah who hadn't had anything to do with each other you mike and ali that was so much fun to hear you gel as each episode went on and these yeah. episodes started to get longer yeah. <laughs> because you had more to talk with each other about and you were getting more familiar with each other. And um, there's just so much to to love about what's going on at Hollywood Media. So please, yeah, check mm-hmm. out the Vedic Assembly. That is a wonderful show. Uh, we spoke about the Janeway last week, another great podcast as well. Um, there's loads there, so please. Oh, oh, and also uh, Blast Shield. And, yes, uh, yes. Her first track, the the hosts of those <laughs> shows, Chris. I mean, yeah. I I don't want to I don't want to beg them up too much, but they're pretty they're pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm joking. That is, of course, me and my 
the mother of my children, Katie. Uh, but yeah, check out the shows there. Oh, so, so she's just the mother of your children and not the love of your life? <laughs> oh, I should have said that. Chris, hey, I'm trying to help you here. What I'll say is that I'm not... Uh, I know, I, and she's unlikely to listen to this, it's okay. The problem I have is that Katie and I are not married. We are engaged uh, to be married, but uh, I don't want to call her my... Um, my wife, because that would be a lie, and everyone always calls her my wife anyway. Um, and I also, I normally call, refer mm-hmm. to her as my partner because I'm old now, and so partner is like the, yeah. the word I use. Um, but when I'm talking about a podcast host, it feels like it feels like Chris, <laughs> you're my partner on this show, so it feels like I'm then sort of lessening her importance <laughs> in my life. So when I say the mother of my children, it does imply more okay. importance. But I guess it also implies that maybe I'm yeah. not actually with her romantically if she's just the mother of my children it's like saying that i'm not actually in a relationship with her so i need a title maybe people can suggest what i should call her maybe i should just call her katie my significant other (laughs) or like you said better half that works too we'll do a poll better half yeah yeah that's a that's another go-to i don't want to stroke uh rubber ego (laughs) i can say that that's usually how i refer to heather because she's not only my better half but my much better half so Oh, oh! Look, look at this! You show me up, you call me out, and then and then you're here just throwing out all these lovely comments. Well, well you know, it. you know, I, I I I see your bet, and then I raise you. You know, just typical poker. <laughs> I reckon it's just because I reckon it's just because you're gonna try and get to edit this episode, and so <laughs> you're trying to make. She sure gracefully little... agreed to do the the outline for us today. So she did. Thank so you. So all Heather. the. Uh, all, all the bullet, bull, or well, the uh, phase pistol points. I'm sorry, as as she has referred to them, will will we'll have come from her. Did um oh, so we're working yeah. off of her just her idea of what the episode should be. Oh, brilliant! Well, that's cool. <laughs> so we haven't done anything for this one. We're just <laughs> left it to Heather, and we're just going to talk about uh, the very helpful yeah. notes she's put together for us. That's great. This has been a weird episode. This has started weird, Chris. Definitely. One of our shows. Uh, I like it. I like it. It's, it feels like I'm a, I'm on uh, Blast Shield with Katie. <laughs> so, all right. Let's see here. Now, did you want to do? Did you did you actually want to do do the uh, the backstory, or should should I go ahead and? You do that? throw me under the bus, man. So you can <laughs> go ahead and uh, give us a a quick basic backstory of Hoshi Sato. All right. Well. Hoshi was the uh, the top linguist on Earth at the time that uh, Archer was putting together his crew, and he knew he was going to need you know someone with excellent linguistic skills on this mission, especially being you know the first humans, pretty much further out from from the solar system on their own. So, uh, she was born in uh, Kyoto, Japan, in July or on July 9th of. 2129 so let's see here in about a hundred and nine no 108 years it's 2021 people <laughs> so isn't that crazy i know though that's how close we are to when characters in enterprise are born i, I find that nuts yeah so yeah i can say we're we're less than 100 years away from when to paul's gonna be born so oh yeah which i yeah because this century. Yeah, I think she was like, yeah, yeah, it'd be the, this century, and also, you know, we're we're that much closer to 
to the, the Falcons hopefully meeting us. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, like I say, yeah, m- most of her uh, her childhood, instead of, you know, going to, to schools, she'd spent it with private tutors. And that's how she became so adept at learning learning languages. She had a, a pen pal in Brisbane, Australia, that she loved receiving letters from. And then, you know, saying that it was like a little window into a distant place with strange sounding names. You know, after after she, she'd grown up, she uh, mastered a number of Earth languages, you know, including, you know, the Romance languages and and German. Decided to become an exolinguist and graduated second in her class and spent three years at Starfleet Training Command, which was this before Starfleet Academy officially became a thing. She did do uh, two training tours, um, and both uh, and both times she had the uh, the portside quarter. Um, in her second month, they uh, discharged her for breaking the uh, company commander's arm after a dispute about a weekend poker game <laughs> she was organizing. So see, I I, I knew poker was going to come up. <laughs> um, after that, she. Uh, she decided to become a university professor down in Brazil, and that that's where we we actually meet meet her for the first time in the show. Can I just say as well that scene when I first watched uh, Broken Bow, which was a pirated copy uh, on uh, a CD, <laughs> and we watched it on the monitor on the big PC that my parents used to have in the corner room. We were sat there at the back, is in the dining room, uh, lights were off, we're all sat there watching the new Star Trek. And I remember I was sat towards like the back of the table, and that scene was one of the first scenes where, just from uh, the color filters they were using, uh, the outdoor location, it was one of the first scenes of the episode where I thought, "Oh, I'm watching a new Star Trek!" Like, yeah, because it just felt like you know he's assembling his crew, and don't get me wrong, we'd had some fun scenes before, but that scene was well, it hit me. That it was a new show, I think, and right. so I always remember that. Well, the two scenes, isn't it? It's the one where he sees her teaching, mm-hmm. and then the one where they're walking uh, through the, I guess the, on the path somewhere. So yeah, I say well, and with that, we'll kind of talk about you know our our first impressions of of Hoshi as a character. So from from that first part, what were you thinking at that point? You know, all the way back in in two thousand one. Well. Same thing, I think, now when I rewatch the episode, actually, that, that that introduction scene, certainly, for Hoshi, she comes off as very, very forthright in how she will speak to the captain. And now Hoshi, for someone who always second-guessed herself, she was never afraid to to mention if she thought someone was... If someone was pushing her, she'd push back, right. so to speak. So I got that idea that there was a bit of banter there with her and Archer. I felt that her and Archer went back, yeah. which was the only time I think I ever thought that because that's what it came off as, uh, the way they were talking to each other and the way she was kind of like, well, you're just going to have to wait six months or whatever it was, um, or six weeks, I can't remember, until she finished teaching. Yeah. But we never got anything more on that. So maybe that was just something that I took from the from the scene. But I don't, did you think that they knew, like they knew each other better than they did? I thought they, they, they'd known each other at... You know, at some point in their lives before that, but beyond that, I don't know. You know how far back the relationship went, or you know how deep it really was. Mm. Yeah, or well, even if it 
if it even was true because <laughs> it never got yeah. never sort of got even alluded to again but yeah i thought we had a very confident character on our hands uh, which mm-hmm. was gone within a few episodes uh, within a few probably 10 or 20 minutes of the episode yeah but very sure of herself i thought and when 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 the ground was solid underneath her yes uh that's well yeah there we go maybe that's something that i've not considered actually yeah when she was on the ground in this first scene she on earth yeah on earth she was very seemed to be comfortable in the world that she was living in as well mm-hmm. the teaching and students where where she was brazil do we say it was um, yeah brazil she was very very just seemed happy yeah and and that interesting language when he plays the Klingon and you, you could mm-hmm. see her already like, she's like oh, wait a minute what's that I think you realize you're gonna get like a very innocent a very innocent young lady uh, who's yeah. fun sweet and doesn't seem to have a bad bone in her body and I think actually they did retain that for Hoshi definitely now the confidence thing that she had as you said with the ground beneath her feet that went we I don't think we ever saw that again with her on the show, uh, they certainly she did get better throughout. But every now and then, they took a few steps back. For uh, I'm thinking, yeah, and I think I, I think as far as far as her being, I'd say you know confident, but yet also defiant would be you know later on there in season three, when when the Zindi are trying to mm. use her to yeah to break the code. I think it was yeah, it was, and then they were drugging her then and uh, and all yeah. sorts where she was out and they, they, they had to use and they had, they had to use even more than than yeah, they would for, yeah. for like two doses person. or something they had to give yeah it wasn't I, uh, yeah it was more and we'll look silly if it was different to that now but i haven't watched that episode in about a year so yeah i thought i thought they kept the language the interest she had in languages i thought they kept that mm-hmm. throughout though and uh and i think maybe we'll talk about it later the excitement she had for Klingon there yeah very quickly i think always turned into being stressed and overwhelmed that she was the only person who could decipher a lot of these languages on the show and and you could see that the weight of the mission was always on yeah but yeah in those, in those first scenes i would actually say they did generally stick quite well to how she was introduced to how she finished the show really uh four years later yeah and you know this kind of actually rolls into the next phase of fairer phase pistol point of you know discussing, you know her role and importance on the ship. You know, both with as translator and comms officer, which you know up until this this point, the only other comm officer we really had was Ohura in the the original series. You know, because none. I don't think any of the other series up to that point had you know someone dedicated to kind of answering the phone. Which, as you. As you say that, then I realize that Trek put two female characters in those roles. Yeah, as perhaps female characters of color, by the way. Yeah, yeah, potentially <laughs> problematic. As as we, I'm laughing awkwardly at it, and now as I think about it, but I mean, I've seen our notes now. You know, talking about you know, comparing and contrasting uh, Uhura and and Hoshi, and I think I mean we have to remember when TOS was made, mm-hmm. and, and I'd never thought of that aspect mm-hmm. that. Uhura was just picking up the phone and answering and maybe that's how Gene Roddenberry was able to get the character on the bridge. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe that's part of it. But I feel that Hoshi's voice and opinions and talent was more important on the NX-01 to the crew, to the mission, mm-hmm. than it ever was for Uhura 
on the 1701 to Kirk. I don't think her yeah. voice was seen as as important as Hoshi's. Hoshi could make you change your mind if you're Archer. Yeah. She could inform the decisions you're making. I don't think Uhura was ever really informing Kirk's decisions. And you're the expert, though. You tell me. Yeah. Um, I can say that definitely in, in the series proper, that, w- that was the case. But as, as it went along, I think there was a little bit more of, you know, Uhura guiding, you know, Kirk's decisions, at least, you know, in, in the, the original series, not the Kelvin version, but definitely, definitely, you know, became more, 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 a little more outspoken, a little more like, Hey, you know, we need to do it this way and not that way, which, you know, I think, which is one of the reasons why it leads me to believe that Star Trek five is, is Kirk having a dream after he got knocked out falling off of El Capitan. <laughs> is that your theory as to uh, uh to Trek 5? I'm just going to I'm going to stick up for Star Trek 5. Oh, oh, it's 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 definitely one of my favorite from the originals. I'm just try, <laughs> trying to get other people to kind of enjoy find find a way of enjoying it. I'm going to just going to say that Star Trek 5 and for the first like half or two thirds is potentially the the best TOS movie and then it falls mm-hmm. off a cliff edge. <laughs> After that, yeah, but no pun intended. Sorry for the the clip scenes in that film. <laughs> but uh, the, but yeah, it's well. I say maybe the best. It was the closest to TOS mm-hmm. for the first half, first two thirds, and caught it, captured the TOS spirit perfectly. But after that was a was something else entirely. Which yeah, I think it was budget. But no, I do I do think Hoshi was more important to her series than Uhura was uh, to TOS. I. Mm-hmm can accept that that is because of the times that the shows were made. So that does have to be given consideration, I guess. But if you were just going to look at them in universe, I think that Mm -hmm. it's different. But I mean, again, you you mentioned the Kelvin films. Ahura, again, when the films were made, Ahura is essentially one of the the main three leads of those. Yeah. Certainly from uh, for Into Darkness and beyond. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's because Zoe Saldana was becoming a... a... A larger star, yeah. Yeah, a massive star, probably the biggest star of the whole cast, actually. Yeah, at the time and now, now you know, because I think when when they when when they first started, other other than you know Leonard Nimoy, I think the 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 three biggest names they had were uh, Carl Urban, um, Zachary Quinto, coming off of you know Heroes, Heroes. And, yeah, and 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 that, and Eric Bana as Nero. Oh, I always forget Eric Banner. Yeah, yeah. Those those were the three big names for 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 '09, because Chris Pine was just getting started, and and so and for that matter, so was Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in a very minor role. Mm-hmm. Now look at him. <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah, but I, I as I said earlier, I think I think Hoshi was a much more important character uh, on her ship. Yeah. Because you know, at that at, at that point in universe, you know, you needed someone who could pick up languages quick and be able to switch it from from that alien language into something that people could understand. Yeah. On 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 the the ship, and it it also provided us you know good good uh good moments for 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 Hoshi in in some of the the not so great episodes that that people like to say you know like. In Box Solo, just because you know she's working on trying to figure out what they're what they're trying to say, 
and you know and then also communicating with with slimer and then you know they're again in 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 a, a night in sick bay saying you know this is how their their apologies translate mm-hmm. actually she was a bit uh we talk about her characteristics and her relationship with archer she wasn't afraid to really sometimes tell archer when he messed up as well was she with the uh, thing of like yeah stuff like in night and sick yeah night and sick bay and things like that yeah so fair play she had a bit of spunk about her mm-hmm. i'm gonna say i'll skip around or skip skip down from the universal or skip over the universal translator at the moment yeah okay and then go go to you know the the strengths and weaknesses all right yeah, yeah. see i can say right right off the bat as far as you know seeing seeing both the strength and the weakness in the same episode I'd say fight or flight's definitely, definitely one of those, and it's like you know second episode. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, fight or flight's an interesting one because yeah, she got the first standalone mm-hmm. of the of the series, which maybe given that they'd advertised it was about that trio at the top at the top of the show, Trip to Paul and, and Archer. It was interesting they went to Hoshi for that first standalone episode, um, and yeah, it did. It mm-hmm. she helps save the day by uh, translating the language and stuff. Um, but also, she's ready to just pack it in and get off the ship. Uh, space travel, she hates it. And I, mm-hmm. this, I've alluded to this on an, one of our first podcasts, I think, where there were times where Hoshi annoyed me. Yeah. And be- because the weaknesses that she it, had... It seems... See, I just yeah, I can say it seems like the writers overemphasized it. I would say, yeah, in the sense of yeah, because I was thinking, how did she get this role if she's that yeah ill-equipped for for space travel? I mean, she right. I I get having nerves or something. She's not a military officer, you know. She is uh, she's a communications officer and presumably the best person for the job who Archer had access to. But if someone was that ill-equipped to be out there, surely they wouldn't have put her out there. Like he wouldn't have been allowed to. Surely, you know what I mean? It's like because yeah, particularly in that episode and some later ones, she seems really ill-equipped. Yeah, to be out there. Um, but her strength was always that she was in remarkably good at mm-hmm. at languages, and we've seen she was doing that as a kid onwards. Uh, her biggest weakness was probably confidence though yeah i think as a whole she had low confidence and maybe actually I mean, she, maybe one reason how she's got she, such... she had sorry in some in, in certain aspects she did have a lot of confidence in what she was doing mm. but i think this is really one of our first cases of having a main character having anxiety yeah, I was that over their job. That's just what I was gonna because say. yeah, because maybe this is because because you know you could tell she was confident in it, but she would always second guess herself. Yeah, and that maybe that is why she's got the following she's got now because oh, I I don't doubt it. We are a time and whatever the reason is for it mm-hmm. um, in the world where you know there are people seeming to be dealing with more people seem to be dealing with anxiety. Uh, and things like that than than ever before, or maybe there's just a, a greater spotlight on it now, and people are coming out and be more honest about it. I don't know, but maybe that is why Hoshi, um, people identify yeah. uh, so much with her now because um, she she is very relatable 
as a character. Very good at a job, second guessing. That, I mean, that, that sums up my that sums up the love of my life. <laughs> Katie, she's fantastic. Funny enough, actually, languages as well. She's fantastic at, at all that yeah. and what she does. And she still thinks she's rubbish. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And she's still second guess herself. And I I just think so many people are like that. So maybe Hoshi is a prime example of mm-hmm. how Enterprise gave us characters that were very real, ones that we weren't used to. Because people will talk about DS9 and how it had fantastic character development and such, and it did. It did. Yes. But its characters weren't as close to us as the Enterprise characters are. And I think yeah. Hoshi is a, a prime example of that. There's there's no Hoshi on DS9. You know? No. Uh, I think that... Well, maybe maybe a little bit with, with Ezri. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry, I was forgetting Esri Dax. Easily done, given she was only in <laughs> one, one but, season. But she did... Jadzia's my Dax, man. <laughs> I can say, yeah, but, but Ez- Esri did, did do a good job with her with her one season. And, you know, the, the whole conversation for why we even have Esri is one for another day on another podcast. So... <laughs> <laughs> I would, um, yeah... Fedex can uh, Fedex can chat about her. Actually, maybe she was a, a little bit of the model for for Hoshi. Now you've mentioned Ezri, yeah, I'm seeing actually quite a lot of similarities between her and Hoshi. Yeah, de- definitely. Now, now that we're you know kind of kind of thinking in that in that headspace, you can definitely see you know sort of a pattern there. Now, I'm gonna say what what other what other kind of weaknesses or strengths do you think that that Hoshi, or that they had Hoshi show, but not as Ooh. often. Okay, well, let's talk about mm-hmm. Observer Effect in Season 4. And Hoshi's talking to Trip. This is when they're going to be dying, I think, and Hoshi's revealing some things about herself and such. And, I mean, there was things revealed in, in that episode that did not seem to sync up with uh, right. with hoshi at all so we'd found out she again the whole thing of getting mm-hmm. uh kicked out of uh the trade in uh because she broke a commander's arm i don't know a commanding officers or whatever's arm or yeah and i was like what hoshi <laughs> hoshi you know the, the one who has to sleep on a certain side of the ship and all these i just hadn't seen anything that was i didn't see anything of that uh of hoshi so i guess that there were strengths there that we were starting to get new strengths that we were going to start getting sort of uh, glimpses at. But actually, because the show ended when it did, we didn't get to take that further. But I have a feeling yeah. that there was like a soft reset done with Hoshi um, for in season four when, uh, when Manny Koto was in charge. And I have a feeling that we would have maybe seen Hoshi really grow into her boots as she went. So I don't know if, for me, I can't think of an, uh, strengths or weaknesses that that were there for the entire show that we haven't already mentioned. I mean, have you got some other ones that you think you could pick out from her? Um, for for me, definitely one of one of her strengths was her her you know sympathy and empathy that she had. Because I mean that that kind of you know was a driving force between a few few of her decisions, um, and you know kind of standing up at, at a couple points, like especially in like like in Vox Solo where where you know she's trying trying to you know communicate with 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 slimer and kind of trying to fend reed off from attacking attacking it yeah yeah i mean that was a re- that was a standout episode for hoshi fox Holler. 
to be fair. And then um, no, another one um, when when she goes with with Tarquin, they're in season three. I can't remember. Yeah, exile. Yes, exile. Um, yeah, I think it's episode six. So and and you know that that was really really at the time when when television was doing a lot of Beauty and the Beast type stories. Yeah. If you think about That's it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> why Beauty and the Beast was such a. I've never really understood the love for the film, um, the old animated film. To be fair, but uh, that was Enterprise's version, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. That's a that's an interesting episode, Exile. I mean, are we are we going to talk about favorite episodes of Hoshi's? Yeah, let, let, let's go ahead and do that. So, so for for me, it it is um, Exile. I'll also include in a mirror the uh, in a mirror darkly two parter, even though we're, mm. it is mirror Hoshi. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so kind of morphing it into fa- favorite Hoshi episodes slash Linda Park episodes. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, well, she was a standout performer in 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 the mirror darkly, and yeah, showed the the range that Linda Park's got uh, completely. I think favorite episodes of Hoshi's for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they weren't episodes where they were her episodes, so it's hard to really pin them down but or more like a favorite moment yeah i mean i, I think vox Sol is a really good episode mm-hmm. and the stuff's in there uh, i think we're going to talk about one issue i have with that episode quite shortly though uh, okay looking through the notes but one episode i wasn't particularly huge on initially um but i've enjoyed more on rewatch was vanishing point mm-hmm which uh, was a fun episode, actually, where this is the one where she imagines it all, mostly, yeah. <laughs> the whole episode. But that was actually, it could have been an annoying episode, but it was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those where, where you know, for her, you know, the entire episode takes place longer, but it's really the from the point where, where she, she leaves where she's at till she gets to the transporter pad. Yeah, you know, and I know it's a, a simple tale, but I thought she was really good in that episode. She held it well. and mm-hmm. uh, I really loved the... You mentioned earlier the stuff in, I think it was in Countdown in season three where she's a prisoner yeah. of the Zindi. I thought that was that was a very uh, good performance from her. And that, again, showed how much she'd grown, like you said earlier. An Observer Effect, I think, was a was a good shout for the character as well and, and find out more about her. I'd, I find it weird, the stuff we found out about her. It doesn't ring yeah. true to her, uh, but at least what I thought of her. But I do think it was a really good performance from Linda Park, and it was a they were good episodes for Hoshi. So b- before we get on onto your uh, onto the uh, to the phaser point after or phase pistol point after this, uh, let's back up and talk about how vital she was in creating the Universal Translator. Well, she might be one of the most important people that yeah would have been contributed from Earth. Probably. Definitely. I mean, she was the one out there. She was gathering up the languages. These... Yeah, I feel like she was probably doing work on that when she was off duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was her life. It consumed her. And she was at the forefront of that. And I think for the 10 years that she served on, on the NX01, I think she would have done more work than anyone Yeah, on that. Uh, do you get the Universal Translator as quickly as you do without Hoshi Sato? I don't think so. No. Because I mean, Archer wanted the best, and Archer got the best in in linguists yeah. from Earth. 
definitely. definitely. If, if you had a lesser linguist, it would have probably taken maybe another 10, 15 years after, mm. after with, with Hoshi doing it. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. So now we'll go ahead and, and, and get to your, to your, your sticking point. The, uh, the feud that the writer set up between Hoshi and T'Pol. Okay. So I think it was fight or flight where we really saw this, uh, touched on as well was mm-hmm. T'Pol maybe talking down to Hoshi or at least Hoshi, thinking that T'Pol was speaking down to her. And th- that seemed to be resolved in Fight or Flight. Like, I thought it was like a one and done. But then out of nowhere, they brought, yep. they brought this angle back in Vox Solo. And we've chatted about that in our Vox Solo uh, review, which people can go back and, and listen to. But that was incredibly frustrating because it, it felt like it was... It was two steps back, you know. It's like why? Yeah. It's like why is this an issue again? This has not been a problem. Like T'Pol has not been doubting Hoshi for any time, and Hoshi hasn't been speaking to T'Pol like this about that for so long. So I mean, I can't remember what you said about that in our chat. Actually, was that was that an issue for you at all? Um, I can't remember what I said either. But <laughs> I say because I mean, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of, you know, pulling back the curtain here. You know, we we do record these, you know, a couple weeks out, and you know, it's been a couple weeks since the episode's been released, so we've talked about other things. So that's why what I've said escapes my mind. But it was, it, it, it definitely. I think I did agree with you that where it did kind of come out of left field on that, um, since you know we thought we thought that their issues had had been mostly resolved at this point, but. Um, I think I attributed it to to the stress of stress because the captain was was caught up in Slimer mm. and they were trying to get the captain back. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think they didn't really use that much after, did they? I mean, no. We've got in the notes. You know, did the writers use Hoshi's um, insecurities and sort of emotional nature as a file to Paul's? calmness and confidence for dramatic purposes well written heather um and yes they did sometimes use that it's an interesting rivalry as well to yeah to have set up but i guess if you take hoshi someone who's very confident in abilities probably getting the best scores on tests and all that Mm -hmm. stuff and then you put her in a situation where she knows she's a she's a harshest critic is hoshi and she knows that to Paul is incredibly good at what she does. So maybe she was just uh, projecting onto mm-hmm. Paul from Hoshi, you know, because she Hoshi knew she should be doing better. Yeah. And she knew that Paul probably knew that as well. So Hoshi just then projected all this all this crap onto Paul, which I, th- I think by the time of Oxala, I don't think Paul felt that way whatsoever. But um, it was fun at first, though. It, it, yeah. It did make... It added the idea of Paul really... Being a bit of a jerk, <laughs> yeah. Early on, uh, and, and, and you know, just just adding to the whole jerkiness of of, of Vulcans, you know, pre Kirshara. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean that that was an annoying step back for the character. But if you were to look at it in real world sense, though, mm-hmm. you know that that thing probably wouldn't go right away right away because that no. is a working relationship issue. Forget personal relationship. This is actually yeah. in the job. Right. Hoshi thinks that Paul doesn't think 
she's capable of of doing her job basically now um those kind of things in a workplace do come up more than once if someone's mm-hmm. got those issues you know it, it can be months later you could think your best buddies with uh, your supervisor or boss but suddenly an issue presents itself again yeah, next- months later when the friendship goes out the window and no you think i'm crap at my job screw you you know yeah. and i think that's kind of what happened with hoshi and DePaul. yeah uh, definitely so how i'm kind of kind of tweak uh tweak this next face pistol point here um as far as you know her being underutilized um how could we have, or how could you have or what would you have done to show her you know show more growth with the character and, and utilize her maybe a little bit better honestly i think koshi got more attention than maybe we remember on the yeah. show um she wasn't a bit part player like travis turned into for a very long period uh, Hoshi was always quite relevant to what was taking place in the show. And for that reason alone, I don't think I would change things. I don't think I would utilize her in a different way, at least. Because given that she was not part of the main three, I think she actually did quite a lot. Maybe I would love to have seen the stuff that seemed very out of place for her character that they introduced in late season four. When we're finding out all this stuff about her and how she's a bit of a, uh, a bad girl, you know, back back in the, her day, which I I think maybe I would have enjoyed to see that grow and see where that was going. Yeah. For the character, you know, because you know, that would have probably felt probably would have felt better with the character, aligned better with the character if we'd had another year or two of it. Yeah. And seeing it, but being a good fighter, ha, 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 uh, all these have her go. Have her go from Bradward to Beckett. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, nice lower decks reference there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I would use her any differently than I did. There's things I would not do with her. Yeah, um, I would. Same, same. I think these are the same things that that have happened with Jolene and and, and Estepol. Yeah, I would not have had Hoshi's <laughs> clothes get removed as she uh, jumped out of a. Then Jeffrey's tube or something event, yeah. Um, in Shockwave Part Two, it was completely unnecessary. And I think now, in the world we live in now, I think Linda Park might have said, like, no. maybe no to the scene because I know we don't see anything, but it's like, well, why have I got to get my top off. clothes off on set? <laughs> you know, why have I got to take it off on set? You know, um, I, I know that they have you know private sets and things like that, but it's still uncomfortable yeah. for someone to. Uh, to feel vulnerable like that. So I would not have done that. It never went anywhere. I thought it was going to start something with Malcolm and her, uh, but it never did. So I probably would have taken that out. Mm-hmm. And I would have, yeah, I wouldn't have done what they did with her and T'Pol in Voxola, uh, or at least the way Hoshi yeah. behaved. Because I don't think T'Pol was thinking what Hoshi was accusing her of in that episode. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm happy. I mean, is there things you would take out of um, the, or or things you would improve on well, for Hoshi? Definitely, definitely, kind of going going back to our our, our last writer's room. De- definitely giving her more to do, like you know, taking taking the lead on on away missions, and you know, sort of 
being being more involved with with decisions that that kind of affect the whole ship and not just you know her little station. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, what what do you think uh, her life would have been after after returning to Earth? You know, because at this point it would have been you know after the Zindi War, after the Romulan War. Um, do you think she would have stayed in Starfleet, or do you think she would have gone back to actually teaching, and and stayed there? I think she would have, and I'm pretty dead set on this now, which maybe I wasn't when we did the These Are the Voyages review months ago, and we talked about what the future might be. I think Hoshi most definitely left the Enterprise in 2161 to work on the uh, Universal mm-hmm. Translator and things related to that. So I think that would have been, I guess, an office role in some ways, or maybe involve traveling to other planets that were going to come into the Federation and, you know, and getting to know the languages before putting these people at a table, you know, in, in Starfleet offices or Federation offices. So I think she would have done that for a while. I think she did return to teaching, but I think later okay. in life. I feel like as maybe as Hoshi was starting to go a little bit grey, she then went and uh, and started to teach again and probably finished out her her whole life okay. as a teacher, uh, I think. But yeah, I, I don't think she would have stayed in Starfleet for life. I think she was there for um, quite a few years after the Enterprise was decommissioned and then she was back in a quiet life. Yeah, teaching. and I guess say that, that totally, you know, Tracks with where how or with with how I would see see her life progressing, you know, post series and everything. So, all right. We're so let's uh, let's get to the to the listener comments here. Yeah. So we did a uh, a post on Facebook, shared it to a few groups as well, and asking for uh, what did track fans think of Hoshi Sato as a character. Uh, so we've gathered these comments together. There's some great ones, actually, I think. Uh, some really in-depth mm-hmm. ones as well. So so JJ Becker on Facebook said, Hoshi was a great character, extremely well portrayed by Linda Park. Fight or Flight, Vanishing Point, and In a Mirror Darkly are some of the episodes I would pick to exhibit the strength of the character and the range of the actor. Uh, so Vanishing Point got a shout-out there and In a Mirror Darkly. Chris, so uh, looks like we're all in agreement as fans. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Huckfield said, I feel that Hoshi was badly served by the writers. She started as the character who embodied the fears of new, her concerns about space flight and her fear of not being able to translate, etc. were interesting and could have led to stories about the fear of the new in society but she seems to have been relegated quite quickly to a bit part character who wasn't really developed. She ended up just being part of the furniture. In no way a criticism of Linda Park, but a real indictment of how poorly women were written in Star Trek at the time. And I've had quite a few likes, actually. Uh, let's talk about that one for a minute, then, Chris. I mean, yeah, I can see Daniel's point, but I also kind of disagree with it. Because we have to remember, Enterprise was always pitched as a show where it was about the three main leads. Yeah. It wasn't uh, just a general ensemble cast. It was about the three and everyone else. And uh, with that in mind, you know, Hoshi, I think, got quite a lot 
yeah quite a lot of time did she develop was she much different at the end uh to the beginning maybe not but sometimes people don't change you know yeah i guess say if if anything did change it, it did seem that she was more more confident and less anxious well i and not not more confident but you know less anxious less you know double double guessing or, or yeah second guessing yeah. herself not double guessing um, but that was very very good honest uh, thoughts there anyway uh, daniel thank you for that uh, stuart yeah. says i liked hoshi and by the way stuart's a great he follows us uh, i get great comments off stuart uh, i know thank you very much stuart um he says, I liked Hoshi and loved Linda Park's portrayal of her. I do fear she was neglected by the writers. We see her as a strong, confident woman and an officer when Archer is trying to persuade her to join the mission to return Clang. She might be slight of frame, but she was made of steel. Ah, oh, that's lovely. Um, yeah. Lightning rays are quick when quoting regulations to point out he can't force her to come. Only when he applies to her intellectual curiosity does she agree. I think her initial misgivings about high warp speed is justified but gets overplayed. She shortly becomes... Uh, th- how do you say that word? Malina? Malinger? I don't know. Of the crew, even needing her quarters shifted to the other side of the ship. She seems at ease talking to anyone on the crew regardless of rank. Uh, I know there was some friction between Tapal and something. I didn't actually click the see more on the screenshot. For Stu's comments, that's all he gets. But <laughs> um, and then we had Michael Bentley, who has um, really gone to bat for Hoshi. So yeah, strap yourselves in, guys. Grab your drink. This one's going to take a while. Thank you, Michael, for this comment. By the way, I think you've written some fantastic things. Uh, Hoshi is one of my favorite characters in Star Trek. All the characters in Enterprise are relatable, but for me, Hoshi is even more so. Because she embodies the kind of anxiety that, let's face it, most of us would feel on an experimental ship like the NX-01. And yet, at the same time, she's clearly a genius, although far too modest to say so. Her quiet and unassuming manner is incredibly appealing. On Riser, she treats people with respect and is eager to genuinely learn about new cultures and languages. As a result, she learns a few conjugations and actually has a good time on the planet <laughs> which none of the others managed to do that's a good point actually i'd forgotten all about the part she played in two days yeah. two nights yeah and yeah and it, and it seems like that's that's how everybody decides to go to risa's because she had a good time so she told her friends <laughs> yeah word got they told two friends yep. and they told two others and whereas, so on and so on whereas reed and trip told no one about their experience at risa <laughs> no yeah. Uh, Michael continued uh, to say, despite her anxiety, Hoshi commits one of the greatest acts of courage in the whole series. Archer could not have destroyed the Zindi weapon without her. She's just as responsible for saving Earth, humanity, and the future Federation as he is. After torture, mind rape, and still physically very sick, she goes back to the site of her trauma to do what needs to be done and uses her genius while struggling to think clearly. To feel fear, but to face it and do the necessary thing is the very definition of courage. As someone who has lived at times with severe anxiety, I'm not sure if I'd be able, if I'd be capable, sorry, of her bravery, no matter the stakes. What we see of Hoshi's friendships, especially with Flocks, is both touching and tantalizing. 
She's the one who visits him when he's infected with Borg nanoprobes, not just to feed his animals, but clearly out of concern for him. She and Archer also seem to go back away, and I love the moment when he returns in Stormfront and she rushes up to hug him. We see too little of these friendships, and in a way Hoshi is defined by a series of moments rather than episodes. <laughs> wow, this is just what we've been saying as well. Um, yeah, But what I know. wonderful <laughs> moments, so perfectly and naturalistically acted by Linda Park, who despite youth and inexperience had a perfect handle on the character. It's a great shame that the writers occasionally treated her with juvenile sexism, such as the infamous topless scene in Shockwave Part 2, something that today would never happen in today's Trek. The culmination of Hoshi's arc is, of course, the scene in Terra Prime when she holds her ground against Samuels. Since not a great deal of time has passed since then, I want a short Trek about Hoshi and Phlox. It could be a high-stakes adventure or dinner at Madame Chang's, I'd very happily watch e either. Uh, sorry, a bit of a long one, but then she is my favourite character in Enterprise. I mean, Michael, yes, that was a long one, but goodness me, mm -hmm. what a fantastic uh, summary of Hoshi and uh, how you feel about her. And i got to say this, Chris, there's a lot of points in there that we've raised mm -hmm. in this episode, right? The, yeah. Uh, the topless scene, uh, the fact that there's not many episodes that you could mm. pin to her, but some great moments. But what Michael's done there is identify things that I never picked up on. Talking about the yeah. role that Hoshi actually played in saving Earth from the Zindi. Because we've, we've talked about right. how she had to have extra doses of the stuff to make her break the codes and stuff. Yeah, for the Even Zindi. Talk. But we weren't talking about how actually, after all that, she still helped Archer to save the day. I'd never even considered that. So, mm -hmm. so Michael has yeah. seen something that I haven't seen. And if we go back to what Daniel was saying, and this isn't to say Daniel was wrong, but Daniel felt that the character was very badly served by the writers and just mostly failures from the writing team. And, and as I said, we can see the point on that. This goes to show that when you identify with a character... You sometimes see things that no one else does. And Michael sees these yeah. things because Michael says he has struggled with anxiety and things like that. And I feel like, Michael, I hope you won't mind me saying or presuming, I feel like those kind of things helps you hook on to Hoshi, which is what we said earlier, Chris, mm -hmm. which is why we think people love Hoshi yeah. now is because she speaks to a lot of us now for her challenges are challenges we all have. I mean, Definitely. what do you think of, my, of all those comments and Michael's comments? I, I, I think Michael kind of you know gave us our final thoughts for the for the episode. Honestly, I know there was it was a, a couple of the comments which were great. Thanks, guys. But I feel like Michael's just <laughs> yes nailed it together, and and so yeah. I, I don't even know how to and how to move on from. Thank you very much, Michael, for that. That was that was a brilliant insight. Uh, yes, into Hoshi. If ever we do Hoshi again in some way maybe we need to get Michael on <laughs> I'm just thinking now from reading this comment yeah or or when we when, when we talk about countdown yeah and you know they're they're at the the, the end of the Zindi arc yeah yeah well, uh, Michael we'll reach out <laughs> if if you ever want to appear on one of our shows and uh, we'll get you on so yes yeah, thank you very much to everyone who replied we're gonna make a concerted effort to engage through uh, these 
mediums again. So if you ever want to share your thoughts on topics that we're going to be doing in upcoming episodes, make sure you are a member of The Nexus. On 10th March 2021, our weekly discussion will focus on the Star Trek Enterprise novel, Daedalus. This was the fourth original Enterprise novel, following by the book What Price Honor and Surak's Soul, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast and can be found on our podcast feed. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss in our 10th of March 2021 show, then please dig out your copy of Daedalus or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club brew. The Expanse a Star Trek Enterprise podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep your shirts on. Chris, just on a complete side note, because we're going off on a mm-hmm. tangent. Given that Voyage Home... Yeah was such a massive um, financial hit for for Paramount or whoever, whatever. And it was Paramount at the time when they, were, they had the license. So why was there budget issues on, on Trek 5? Why did they make all that money and then cut the money out Because on, on Star Trek 5? Because William Shatner was directing it. It wasn't Leonard <sighs> Nimoy. <laughs> so they just didn't trust the director? Why let, why let him? For, uh, pretty I'm much. Not even, <laughs> I'm not even going to get... It's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. <laughs> All right, fine. So, Back to Hoshi. Yes. Um, this show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. I really enjoyed the parts on the planet when, you know, after it had been like, destroyed, like yeah. when everyone had died on there, because oh, I yeah. just thought like the set and the lighting and the way they were sort of moving through the destroyed buildings and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really cool. It looked cool. And it was spooky. And I think I've thought this since I was a child watching this. I think it did feel like they were in a place where people had just been, like, Mm. eviscerated. It had feelings of Pompeii. I was just going to say Pompeii. Hmm. Yeah. Or, like, a concentration camp. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Just that feeling of, like, there is just loads of death around you. You Mm. can't even see all of it. But horrible, Mm. horrible things have happened there. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Star Podlog, the classic science fiction and fantasy podcast. Well, and, and it's amazing read, reading that description of the movie, because if I was going to write a description of Star Wars, that's not exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's neat to go back and read these and you're going, wow, that's just, you know, they, they don't really make it sound as exciting there, but they still, I mean, they make it look like, yeah, you want to see it, but, but not for, for those reasons exactly. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Starbase 1, the Star Trek Online podcast. I don't really think that's a good idea. I order you to do it right now. Warning, the structural integrity field has collapsed. This is Admiral Quinn. You will be assigned to Starbase 1. Welcome to Starbase 1.
I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Computer, deactivate Holosuite. Shh.